was out of his net for a couple of seconds. Oh, here's a chance for Peverly! Don, we both went to college. Uh, I went a little bit longer than you did. Yes. Is there any point you considered uh, method of payment being a porn star? Uh, no. I don't. I'm not sure the market for men is what it might be for women. I'm not sure where you're going with this. But well, uh, no. I mean, just because there's this thing going around about this guy, maybe you haven't heard of it. Uh, Duke student. I did hear about that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, she has decided the best way to pay for her Duke education. Uh, is to become a porn star, and people are kind of mad at the guy that outed her. It seems like people are a little bit like, "Yeah, leave her alone." But I feel bad for her father, who well. <laughs> serves our country as a physician in the mil in, in the military. He's a military doctor. Yeah, and he came home to find out that while he was overseas treating our soldiers, his daughter had turned to porn. Well, yeah. yeah, that that would be rough. Yeah, but I was just wondering if you had considered that as a form of payment. No, but I mean, if they would have taken that, you would have done it. Yep, yeah, sure, why not? Right, of course. Yeah, it's not the same for a guy. Right. Uh, welcome to uh, season four, episode seven of the Sportscasters, March eleventh, two thousand fourteen. As we uh, all prepare for another uh, storm in what has been the most relentless yeah, no winter in the history of winters. Uh, but it's nice today. A great show for you, Jim Florentine, the second comic to ever appear. On the sportscaster is going to make his first appearance on the show, and I got to say, if you've ever had two comics on a show, and one's Jim Florentine, and the other one's Artie Lang, you're doing pretty good booking comics. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, also on the show today, our OG Jeff Passon is going to join us. Uh, Jeff was in Sochi, and uh, he's going to report back on how things really were in Russia, and also talk a little bit about spring training, uh, what's going on. And I had this, he, you're. You, everyone will hear this later, but I had this joke, right? Okay. And I had it ready for him, you know. <laughs> uh, and I had it, and I just, I got this. It's a, it's a, it's a fastball to use a baseball term, you know. I'm ready to just. This is for passing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were writing jokes for the comic. That no, no, no. Well. Ninety-four mile an hour joke. I'm ready to throw it right down the middle of the plate, you know. And uh, so I deliver it, and it's good, and it goes over pretty well. And then the next thing I know, we spend the last five minutes of the interview laughing over him bringing up a cake uh, for Braves manager Bobby Cox that was spelled (laughs) C-O-C-K-S. So he trumped me. So I'm not pleased with uh, Mr. Passon for ruining my joke. We'll also do Greatest of All Time, I think, and Book Club. Uh, But before we can do any of that, let's get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right. So today, everyone woke up rush to their computers to see what season-changing player their NFL team had signed 
in free agency as it opened today. How'd the Bills do? Who do the Bills got? Well, it just opened officially at 4 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, okay, the Bills, so they rushed an hour ago to the computer. Yeah, the Bills signed a uh, their kicker back who had some sort of weird uh, veteran-type rule where he they couldn't talk to him, even though he was the Bill, a Bills player last year. But they signed him, and they signed some corner who I've never heard of before from the Dolphins. But he sounds like a decent player. Uh, and anytime the Bills can steal a guy from the Dolphins. Sure, why not? I mean, you'll sign up for that, right? Yeah, why not? So, and often, you know, free agency is about who you lose. Some There's so many examples of, you know, I mentioned a tweet earlier to you about how some of the biggest guys signed last year. Reggie Bush, his team didn't make the playoffs. Steven Jackson was supposed to play Atlanta over the top. Yeah. You know, they didn't make the playoffs. There's multiple examples of that. And when you look back at some of the greatest free agent signings of all time, I mean, it's like it's Drew Brees and it's Reggie White. And then it's a lot of kind of forgettable guys in terms of like really changing teams' paths for years to come. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit before we came on here. The Bills made a bunch of good signings last year, but they were nobody that – anyone would be overly concerned about it was it was all about the kind of the day two signings more than it was the big the big dollar guys i mean guys get overpaid this day and i mean they're yep. overpaid for a reason so the browns have made the biggest splash so far they've signed whitner and dansby right that that's about it from what i can see so far jaris bird i guess is the biggest name out there uh the supposedly interested teams are Cleveland, St. Louis, and Washington. Washington always overspends, so I mean, I could see that. Cleveland is probably out on that now that they signed Whitner. And for some reason, suddenly Tampa Bay is no longer interested in Revis. Yeah, they he may be traded or so caught. That, that's kind of bizarre. So Revis is gone. I guess. Uh, Antoine Bethea has reached a deal with the 49ers. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff will happen today, but the most relevant moves, I think, and the the, the sneakiest moves will be from the owners that uh, make kind of the smart sightings of guys that uh, maybe aren't the biggest names ever, but fill a hole that teams need filled. I mean, there's a reason. If, if Jairus Bird was on a team that he helped put over the top right now, he wouldn't be a free. It wouldn't have gotten to this point. So, uh I don't have a lot of faith. I mean, I don't. It's not as exciting as like the NHL trade deadline, which brings us to our second thing. Last week, Wednesday, right? Was the, yeah, we missed it by a day. Yeah, it was the NHL trade deadline. Uh, the Sabers, our, our local team, made the biggest splash probably two days before that. So we were able to talk about that a little bit, or maybe three or four days before that. But uh, yeah, we talked about that. Um, maybe the most surprising move of the day was a pure. Hockey trade, as they call it, not what the Sabers was doing was not hockey trades. Those were kind of trading for bargaining chips and pieces and all this. But biggest hockey trade of the day was Callahan for Saint Louis. Marty Saint Louis, yeah. And it was kind of funny because uh, Sean McIndoe, who has done this show before, hockey humorist, had just written a huge column. See, Don goes Brown is that him? Yes, yeah, that's a good a huge column on Grantland about how those trades don't happen anymore. Yeah. And then he had to kind of fight that off with the Miller trade. Okay. And uh, he had a good argument for kind of fighting that one off. And also sort of had to fight, fight off the Vanek trade previously. 
Okay, right. You know, because that had already happened. But I think this, <laughs> he couldn't have been happy waking up and seeing Callahan getting traded for St. Louis because that kind of totally blew the column out of the water. Right. The him. only thing you could yeah. say, I guess, about that was Callahan's on an expiring contract. But St. Louis wasn't, and that's kind of a strange guy to move. So is, did St. Louis baby out? Is that, like, is that what happened? Did he just say, sure sound- you don't want me on the Olympic team, so I don't want to be on your team? It sure sounds like it. Which is that's a really really interesting. I mean, thing I don't that the NHL is going to have to consider when they decide if they're going to go to this again. Like, are yeah. there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, our GM's going to be like, I don't want to be the GM next time who has to lose a franchise guy because I didn't pick him for Team Canada. And it's one of those things where, when the Sabers lost Chris Drury going back, he went to the Rangers because it sounded like that's that was his hometown team. That's where right. he always wanted to go. This was a trade, but it sounded like for some reason this is the only team Marty St. Louis wanted to go to. I'm not sure what connection he had with the Rangers other than maybe uh, – what's the guy? Brad Richards is still with the Rangers, right? Right. But other than that, I'm not sure what connection Marty St. Louis had there. But, yeah, it almost sounds like he dictated his trade based on sour grapes from the Olympics. So, Which it, It's just so weird to me. Like, but that's He that doesn't much- understand that he, he's from Canada? I mean, it's not like they left him off Team Latvia. Right, right. And it sounds like most people think that Saint, uh, the Lightning fleeced the Rangers here a little bit. I know Marty St. Louis is – I mean, I've heard people try to argue it because the Rangers maybe are close to being really, really good, and St. Louis is probably a better player than Callahan. I mean, he's a better goal scorer anyway. He's, he's no spring chicken. No. he's. I think he's 31, something like that, maybe even older. Why couldn't that have trade just been done straight up? You get the better player, but our guy's expiring. Yeah. I think the fleecing is the draft picks. To walk away with the draft picks on that. Two I think draft picks. Yeah, two, two of them, yeah. first and second. Yeah, I don't know. It was a head-scratcher for sure. But uh... Is there a team today that you think is more likely to win the Stanley Cup because of what they did in the last week? I mean, St. Louis looks really good. I mean, they looked really good They've before. won every game Yeah, so they've far. won every yeah. game. Uh, Miller's numbers are ridiculous, which... We knew that was going to happen. Yeah. He's been the best player in the NHL all year. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's been, been, phenom- he's been phenomenal yeah. here. Yeah. I, I, People just didn't know because... Right. His numbers for the, this team, giving up 40 shots a game, have been remarkable. So I, I hope he gets some consideration for Avesna this year because he's been really, really good. But I, I think it'd be tough to pick against them. I think they had the most goals or the least goals against before they got Miller, and now they got him, and they can score enough to... Yeah, I mean, Miller was a huge upgrade over Halak, and Steve Ott is the kind of guy that teams love to trade for at the trade yeah, deadline. absolutely. You know, because he's the perfect kind of guy that will grind you out a goal on the boards in a game six when you desperately need one to keep the season alive. So yeah, I think they definitely the team that most people are going to point to and say, big winner. Yeah, Boston seems a little... Like they're kind of under the radar this year, but they traded a player away. I think it didn't replace him. Who did, who did Boston lose at the? I don't remember, but they were kind of quiet. Pittsburgh was kind of quiet. They got uh, Stempniak, another local kid. But yeah, Vanek to Montreal. That's a that's a cool move for Montreal. I'm not. I'm still not sure they're good enough, but I think the East is up for grabs. I think the West probably has a majority. We of talked the about Vanek being a perfect fit in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't, I don't know that. why they didn't do it. I guess you can't do that every single year. Yeah. I guess you can't just give away the future every year. But, I don't know, it seemed like one that made a lot of sense. But he ends up in, in Montreal. Now, I mean, the hockey playoffs are the toughest. I mean, we're getting off track here. But the hockey playoffs are the toughest playoffs of any sport. 
but that said, at the end of Crosby's career there, it, we're talking about not mortgaging the future for Vanek for a playoff run. At the end of Crosby's career or Malkin's career there, if they only have one cup to their name, is that a bust? It's a bust, yeah. That's like uh, you know the end of the Braves domination in the 90s they only ended up with one uh so i mean i think that's the reason you do go for vanek there and not settle for stepniak but that's just me i guess I, i'm a vanek guy though too so that doesn't we're both vanek guys i yeah. think we both have a huge appreciation he was really underappreciated for what, yeah what for what vanek's done here well the next thing up and we kind of said this i think already last year but last week but the next thing up is the ncaa basketball tournament selection sunday is sunday uh, so next week we'll be talking with Jeff Passan as we do every year about Selection Sunday and how the committee did. And actually we're going to have to talk about probably doing two shows next week because we also have a birthday to celebrate for the sportscasters next week. So we're going to have to talk seriously about how we're going fit, to oh. fit everything in next week. Uh, and we'll see what kind of happens. But Wichita State is going to enter the NCAA basketball tournament a year after making a run into the Final Four. 34 and 0. Wow. Uh, and uh, so they're six wins away from being the first team since I think Indiana in like 1986 to run the table. And they made the Final Four last year. So it's not, I don't think, out of the uh, realm of possibility uh, that that they could pull that off. They're going to be the, the team on a lot of people's win line as people try to win that billion dollars we talked about uh, for picking the perfect bracket. Right, yeah. But uh, every night now, uh, automatic bids are are falling. I was in Yale on uh, this weekend, and while we were watching the hockey game, Harvard and Yale were playing basically for the auto bid in the Ivy League, which Harvard did win. Uh, Yale was going to need some help, even if they had won that game. They were going to need Harvard to lose their last game as well. But uh, yeah, bids are falling every night, and uh, next week at this time, uh, we're going to have brackets to talk about. So the NCAA tournament is here, and Wichita State is entering it undefeated. All right, my last thing this week, uh, or my third thing of this week, Richard Mendenhall kind of quietly retires. Uh, I mean, I guess how quiet it was kind of shows his skill level or whatever these past few years, and he has been injured too. But miss him. Yeah, he retires at 26 years old, and he kind of did it via Huffington Post where he wrote an article about his decision. And – it's an interesting read. He sounds kind of grown up. Uh, he doesn't quite say that he doesn't have the passion for football, but he he doesn't, it sounds like. It sounds like he's ready to move on with other things. He says he's already been to two Super Bowls, had a bu- made a bunch of money, traveled all over the world, overseas. Uh, but, again, he's, had, he's said he's let criticism and stuff get to him that he never really let in the past. And, and he was a first-round pick when first-round picks made money. Yeah. So, so I'm sure he's got plenty of bank. So it's an interesting thing for him. Uh, I wonder if we're going to see this more and more now. Is you know all this talk about the CCE damage that the, the the game can do to your body? I wonder if we're going to see players just kind of drop out. Yeah, on the one hand, I think it's easier to easy to say like who did this before? Uh, the kid from Miami, and then Ricky Williams. But I think with a guy like Ricky Williams, he it's easy to see. He didn't want to follow the rules. It's easy to say he's a head case, he's a pothead, whatever. Right, he didn't want to follow the rules, so right. he retired. It's an interesting thing about – it's interesting to read this about Mendenhall. Uh, he comes off as an intelligent guy, so good for him, I guess. If this is what – where his, it's probably hard to walk away from all that money and fame and 
just to go on to a different step. But if that's what he wants to do, then good for him, I guess. Yeah, and uh, that's one last uh, one last team that has to draft him fantasy weekend <laughs> and be pissed all season. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. All right, that's it for three things. What we're going to do is take a quick break, and we're going to come back with Jim Florentine. We're going to do a book club update. We're going to interview Jeff Pass, and I think we're going to do the greatest of all time, and then we're going to end with one last thing. Our next guest is from New Jersey and is a stand-up comedian, actor, and co-host of VH1 Classics, That Metal Show. He is host of his own podcast called Jim Florentine's Comedy Metal Midgets that has nothing to do with midgets. He'll be in Buffalo to do stand-up comedy at the Helium Nightclub on April 16th and is making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very funny Jim Florentine. How's it going today, Jim? Good, man. How you doing? Thanks a lot for doing the show. We have a pretty good track record with stand-up comedians. This is number two, and the other one was Artie Lang, so we're not doing too bad with drawing stand-ups, you know? So that's awesome. Yeah, Artie's a good friend of mine. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about about this when I, when I was talking to you, and it it probably would have been a better question. I don't know, five years ago, but I I'm the kind of guy who uh, I'm a, I'm a huge Stern guy, and I've been for a long time. But I also um, enjoy Opie and Anthony a lot, and I know that Opie and Anth- the Opie and Anthony show always seems to be kind of like the comics morning show in a way. You know, like right. they're just there's always great comics on Opie and Anthony, and and I think Jim Norton is a big reason for that. And does is there a is there this kind of like do you have to pick sides? Like is it is there like a similar thing to the late night war with the with the Opie and Anthony and the Howard Stern thing for comedians? Do comedians ever get I, caught in the middle of that? I think a while, probably like ten years ago, it was when they like you know they were like arch rivals the show. You pretty much had to stick, pick one, and just stick with that, with that one show. But they, they, you know, they don't really care anymore. There's no like the last five years, nobody really cares about that. So it's not a problem anymore. You know, I mentioned you're coming. They both work for the same company. They're in the right. same building. All that stuff. So it's like, I think they let that they let that stuff fly. I never heard anything. You know, ten years ago, yeah, you know, it was pretty much an unwritten rule. If you do one show, you probably should just stick with that one. And so. Yeah, I always, but now they don't. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's it, 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 it's always just interested me a little bit. Like, I wonder, you know, if that kind of friction existed. As we know, it's got to be crazy with the night nighttime TV now, with almost everything being in New York. But uh, I want to ask you about Buffalo because it's been a no man's land for comedians for a long time, and now uh, there's a new club here, and you're going to be coming on April 16th, and. I all of a sudden have noticed like just comics are booking to come to this place. What, yeah, what well, Buffalo's a great uh, Buffalo's a great comedy market. You know, there used to be a place called Comics Cafe up there. I yeah, play out of Tawanda. Yeah, I used to live once a year. It was great. I mean, you know, great fans. And then I went up there a couple of times. Already Lang and Dick DiPaolo, and we did like a theater or a big rock club or something like that. So I remember a couple of times being up there. But you know, since like in the last four years, there's really nothing going on up there. So yeah, it's like you know, I went to Helium opened probably what two and a half years ago, something like that. So you know, the word gets out with other comics, like it's a good club. So um, you know, I'm looking forward to getting up there and doing it. 
I want to ask you a couple questions about that metal show. I'm a huge fan of that metal show, and I always get killed for being a little bit too fanboy. So I'll throw the one kind of like hardball question out there first, all right? Because otherwise, everyone's going to be out. You you know what it's like. Everyone's going to be all over me, like, ah, you could kiss his ass too much or whatever. I'm sure you guys get that a lot too, Uh, which I don't understand why you can't just like the people you have on your show. But of course, anyone that comes on my our show, I like. Even if I don't really like their music that much, I don't treat them like, you know, a, a dick or anything like that. Like, if they're on, they're they're an A-list star to me. Right, but but that's not okay to, like, everyone else. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's, like, we get criticized for that. And, and I don't want to compare myself to No, but if, if there's something going you. on, like, you know, if there's something going on where that needs to be addressed, you know, with, with a certain member that comes on the show, we'll definitely bring it up. But, you know, like the, when Metallica did the album with Lou Reed, the Lulu... Um, whatever, you know, we, Lars is on, like, oh, we're going to talk about it. Like, yeah, I don't care, whatever, you know. And so you bring up stuff like that. You know, the Ted Nugent was on a few weeks ago. We just said, all right, if we're, if we're going to go into politics, then it's going to be 30 minutes of politics and everyone's going to be bored. And everyone knows Ted does that stuff. I go, let's just stick with the music. I go, and, and you know, because he's really funny and engaging, just talking about music and his history and everything else. So that's what we decided to do, just do that instead of going, you know, why do you pick on Obama? Because you could see that on CNN. And right. And you guys did great with McMars this week, too, I think, kind of challenging the whole reunion. Or yeah. The, uh, yeah, the final four thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll just go, come on, come on. No one's ever done it before. And all that. Yeah, we're just busting balls. But that's what we will. So, you yeah, well, I'm fanboy, but also, you know, if there's something that needs to be addressed, we'll definitely talk about it. Well, the only thing that I've always wondered about that metal show and I follow all three of you guys on Twitter, and I follow the show on Twitter, and I'm a big fan. I've been, you know, it, it, I think for me, it, it started where I was like a fan at first when there was a guest I wanted, and then I just kind of realized what a great show it was, and now it doesn't even really matter who the guest is. Right. I just kind of really enjoy like liking the show, and I think I've noticed a lot of people more kind of coming around that way too. I think you guys have found a, a way to to create the hour in a way that the guest is, is it doesn't matter who it is, whether you like their music or not, there's a great story to be told there. I think that's maybe a little, it's okay. So that's what I'll get criticized being too fanboy for. But one thing I've noticed is that you guys are always trying to, you guys change, you guys evolve. There's, we'll do this this year, but not this time. And, and uh, you know, this, this part of the show, like, Last year, last season, like maybe there was three top tens, and then there wasn't any more, and some people got kind of pissed about that. And the one thing I've noticed, and it's maybe brilliant, is that when people get on you about something, when when people are into something on Twitter, you, you guys are like, oh yeah, you know, thank you so much, you know, like yeah, that is a great addition to the show. And then when it's the opposite, it's like you know, fucking VH1 Classic, they just got to spy the balls on that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, you know, but it, you know, it is it is coming from the higher ups. You know, like after every season, they go, "Look, we need to show we need different bits. You know, different ideas. We wanted the show to look a little different. You know, you turn it on, you don't know what season you're in because everything looks the same. So, you know, we get those notes, and then the producers like, "All right, we got to come up with some new bits. So, you know, if we're going to do instead of the top five every episode, we'll do it three episodes." And then we won't do a throwdown. Let's put some other bits in there and see how they work. And then at the end of the season, we'll figure out which we like. So we're always switching up. But it does. it's not up to us. I mean, we're just the, the guys that host the show. You know, it's coming from the higher-ups, you know, critiquing the shows and saying, look, we want this or we want less of this or more of this. And then, we, you know, we can throw in or throw, you know, throw some stuff out there. Go, look, people really miss the top fives. You know, we really should do it if we could find some good ones. 
let's keep doing them. So we can roll out to throwing suggestions like that, but a lot of it is coming from the higher-ups, and we just go, all right, fine, we'll, we'll make adjustments. The way we look at it, as long as the show's on the air, it's like, all right, well, you know, we'll make it work, you know. Some of the new bits that they try to, you know, pitch, we're like, ah, that's not really going to work. Other ones, like, all right, we'll give it a shot, see what happens. Do you kind of feel like the different segments of the show are turning into, like, that metal show's set list? And that, like, you know, there's certain things that just have to be on the set list every night, or the crowd's going to go home a little little angry? Yeah, well, like, everybody, the one thing that everyone always agreed on, and people get, is Stump the Trunk. Everybody loves that segment for some reason. They like Eddie when he gets crazy, and whether you can get it or not, so they're always like, look, we got to keep that one in no matter what. But, you know, then now we can switch some stuff, some things around and try different things. But they always, you know, they always want that one in there. Do you have an L.A. versus New York uh, preference? I mean, you guys are back in New York this week, and I, I think it's worked. I don't host, so I don't know, but it, I, it seems like it's worked out great being able to be so current by taping them during the week and then airing them that week. Have you guys really gotten into the flow with that? Do you have a New York versus L.A. preference? Have you thought about doing the weekly thing in L.A.? Are you going to keep going back and forth? Where is the kind of location and how you're shooting going to go from here? Uh, I don't know. You know, it, it, it goes from season to season. We wouldn't do it once a week in L.A. because we all live in right. New Jersey, us three, and then, the, you know, all the producers and all the stuff are from New York. So they basically put us up in a hotel for two weeks, and we bang out like eight or ten shows when we're in L.A. So we really couldn't do it weekly out there. Um, that's why it's easier to do it weekly in New York. We might go back to L.A. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's nice that we, you know, we usually tape in like February. It's nice to be in L.A. when it's 80 and sunny for two weeks. Than this miserable winter we had in New York. Yeah, relent- yeah, we're in Buffalo. So but then again, one 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 show a week is easy to do. You know, we're doing you know ten shows in in fourteen days. So you know we're out in LA, so it's pretty crammed in. It's a lot of work and stuff. So you know we knock out one show, we're done for a week. We got a time to just chill and then you know get ready for the next show. So I kind of like it that way too. It makes it easier in the schedule. Right. Have Have you liked the ability to be as current as you've been with the discussions? Yeah, but, you know, then again, it's like they showed a show 50,000 times after that, after this week. You know, for the next three, four years, that show will be on, you know, three times a week. So it's really not that current after this week. It's <laughs> a good point. You know what I mean? They're like, right. Yeah, they're showing stuff from, you know, Lars was on, you know, in 2010, talking about, you know, they're, uh, they might do Orion Fest, or, you know, a festival. It's like, okay, well, that's really old. You know, you guys did uh, you guys did a really cool top five a couple weeks ago about guys that haven't been on the show uh, that you'd like to see on the show, and you threw some guys out that you know you just said that guy's never going to do it, so why bother? And one guy who didn't make your list, but you did mention was uh, was Jerry Cantrell, and I, I played Allison Chains off the top, and I, I just want I was really excited to see uh, to to hear Jerry's name mentioned, and because I, I do think Allison Chains gets lost in the shuffle a little bit in so many different categories. I mean, I think they get lost in the Seattle category a little bit. I get, think they get lost in the Meadow category a little bit. I just think they get yeah. kind of stuck in no man's land a little bit. What is it about Cantrell and maybe Allison Chains in his career that would interest you and you'd like to maybe talk with him about on that Meadow show? I, you know, I always, I, I always added a full, you know, I, I like all of those bands out of there. I like Pearl Jam. I still like Pearl Jam a lot. I like the Soundgarden. You know, um, Alice in Chains, Nirvana was a big... I, I liked all four of them, but to me, you know, Alice in Chains was more of a metal band than all of them. So that's why it was more dark and, you know... So I, I liked that. To, to me, out of four of the heaviest or the metal, I would pick Alice in Chains. So 
you know, in their acoustic stuff, those Jar of Flies EP and the Sap EP. Right. They just put some great stuff out, man. It's, and even, the, even the, you know, with the new singer. And the last two records are really good, too. So, and Cantrell's just, you know, the guy's a genius. And I would love to just sit down and interview him. You don't see him in too many interviews. So that's why he was on my list. You know, one thing that was really interesting, I thought, a great point that um, Cameron Crowe made in Pearl Jam 20. I don't know if you saw it or not. But he made, yeah, a, yeah, he made a great point in the beginning just about how the scene did such a great job of kind of taking care of each other and how intertwined all those bands are and were. And, I mean, yeah. you know, Matt Cameron's been in Pearl Jam now longer than he was even in Soundgarden as just, you know, sort of an example. But what was it like in the scene you grew up, you know, in New Jersey and, and being part of the scene there? I mean, is it as unique to Seattle as they kind of made it sound based on your experience? And, and what you learned? Not, I'm here. When I was a kid growing up, we had this uh, Megaforce Records and Metallica started on that label and Anthrax and, you know, those bands like Raven and uh, Anvil and stuff like that, and Twisted Sister was, you know, big in the bars and stuff, and, you know, but it wasn't really that, you know, they weren't all, like, you know, they didn't hang out all the time, they were from different areas, so they were just, the label was in New Jersey, in my town, there was a record store that had, like, you know, that was a heavy metal record store, which was unheard of at the time, so, uh, but it was cool, because they were always, hang, you know, they were always doing shows around town, like, every night, they were doing a different bar, you know, I saw Metallica in front of, like, 10 people, I saw them at a roller skating rink, you know, right in the beginning, so it was amazing. And she'd see Twisted Sister in the clubs. And Twisted Sister used to be a really heavy band. You know, they got a little, they got commercial towards the end, but they were like just a heavy, great, heavy rock bar band. So, um, you know, and it was great seeing them. They would do like four sets a night of like an hour, an hour each, each set. Wow. So it was just, you know, it was great to see, you know, do originals and covers and all that stuff. Yeah, there's there's guys oh. around. We didn't get much of that in Buffalo. I mean, the Goo Goo Dolls were a lot different when they first started in Buffalo than they are now. Like a lot different. Um, and I know there's right. a lot of guys who who are like that too. But um, I I I like I was 14 when Dookie came out, and I seen Green Day like just before. I think there was maybe 300 people there. So that, I mean, that was sort of cool, I guess. You know, because yeah. uh, they were still like like it was a like a crazy night. Even though there was only 400 people there, I was like. At 14, it was just kind of like, wow, I can't believe people act like this. You know, like it was like kind of fun like that. But Sportscasters are here with Jim Florentine, who is going to be in Buffalo real soon, April 16th at Helium Nightclub, uh, doing some comedy. Last thing, you're a big Dolphins guy, right? Yeah. So we've been trying to figure this out on the show for the last few weeks, and we can't. So, like, are we blaming Martin, or are we blaming Incognito, or is it a combination of both? Or like, because like every week it seems like there's a new report, and I feel like it's the other guy's fault, and then I go back to the other guy, and I, I don't even know. I can't, couldn't imagine being a Dolphins fan. Like, where are Dolphins fans with all that right now? First of all, the whole thing, the whole thing is way, way overblown. They blew the thing way out of proportion. This stuff goes on in every locker room. Everyone bust balls. That's what guys do. Hanging out in the locker, you make fun of each other. Same thing with comics hanging out. You, if I walk into the comedy cell in New York City with a bad shirt on, I'm going to hear it from Jim Norton, Rich Foss, everybody else, how bad my shirt is for the next four hours. I don't take it personally. And if they go over the line, I'll go, dude, you know, you went over the line with that. You know, please don't go, don't go there with that, whatever you said. Jonathan Martin's a big baby. He was afraid to speak up. Didn't say anything. It's all his fault, a hundred percent. He had a, yeah, he wouldn't. That, he even said, I'm not, I, was, "I didn't want to go to the coach." <laughs> right. He's like, "I didn't want to go to the coach. I didn't feel like you comfortable going to the coach." Okay, then then whose fault is it? 
if you didn't feel comfortable. Go go tell somebody. You know, first, you just tell Richie. Go, Richie, man, dude, can you just lay off my sister or my mom jokes? That's all you got to do. And he would have done it. Yeah, that, that's kind of... Cognito's, Cognito's the one who, who helped the guy out. You know, obviously, Jonathan Martin's got mental problems. We all know that, he, you know. And, you know, Richie was the one who got him off the couch when he was all bummed out because he wasn't... He's basically a boss. He's a second-round pick. He's a bust. Richie's the one who's like, dude, come on. I'm picking you up. We're going out. We'll get, get off the couch, man. Come on, cheer up. He's the guy who's there for him. Well, yeah, did he pick on him? Did he... Did they crack jokes? Did Jonathan Martin do it back? And you saw some of the texts that he said back to Incognito. Yeah, we all, yeah. Was just as bad. Yep. Was just as bad. Yeah, I'm going to put a... I'm going to stick this... I, I don't know if I can curse on your show. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I'm going to put this in your ass and, and blow a load all over your face. You know, I can't... You know, I'm going to hold you... It's, it was the same stuff, same, you know, graphic stuff that he did it back. Jonathan Martin's in a strip club giving peace signs with two girls' legs around his head. Okay, really? You 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 didn't want to go to a strip club? You you were bummed out about that? You had to because he made you. Please. Yeah. You know what happened was the guy went to Stanford. He's a spoiled. He never. He you know he he was a bunch, around a bunch of rich kids. His parents his are parents lawyers. Are Harvard Harvard alums. Both Harvard too, Harvard yeah. lawyers. Yeah. He grew, he grew up a rich kid. He wasn't yeah. around the meatheads like Richie Incognito. He gets in the NFL, and it's a whole different mentality there. And he couldn't handle it. And then he goes and cries to mommy and he shows mommy his cell phone. And his mother, a lawyer, goes through his phone and starts taking all these texts out. Go, look what he said. He used the N-word. You know, three years of text or whatever, being buddies. You know, and then, yeah. look what, and, then, and then shows it to the media. So that's it in a nutshell. Yep, and that's... Richie, his career's over. Look, yeah, is he, a, is he an idiot? Yeah, but are most guys in the, in the locker room like that? Yeah. It's camaraderie. You hang out, you bust balls, you freaking you're a team. You go out together, you do all the shit together during the season. Yeah, there's That's probably how you bond. There's probably two hundred other players saying, Geez, I hope the text messages I sent to guy X don't get out. You know what I mean? Like you said, you know, it's all Absolutely. And yep. every guy in that Miami locker room, including the black players, had no problem with Rich using the N word in a text or even in the locker room. As they're not doing it as a derogatory. It's not a racial slur the way they use it. It's acceptable there. People that don't live in a locker room like the CNN and The View talking about it, they don't know that life. They don't know what's going on. You've never been a part of that. You live in your politically correct world. The locker room is different, you know, with a bunch of guys. Well, the good news is I would have never thought that Ryan Tannehill is going to be as good as he seems like he's going to be. So I guess for Dolphins fans, you just focus on that and move forward. I don't know what he. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't know about him. You know, I think the offensive coordinator was holding him back. Mike Sherman, the guy's horrendous. Yeah, he's and then he's gone. We'll see. I mean, I, you know, he's. I'm on the fence with him. I had. I give him one more year. I had really low expectations, and I guess I don't watch every game probably as closely as you do. But I've seen some really good things from Tannehill, and I, I kind, I kind of thought I'd think about Tannehill like I think about Whedon right now. You know what I mean? Where it's just like this guy's just. A, you know, a total bust. Whereas I, I could, I could see Tannehill having a 15 year career in Miami at this point. Still, he's eight, right now. Right now, on a scale of one to ten, like, all right, who's the best quarterback in the league? Uh, so let's say Peyton let's say Rodgers, Manning, yeah, yeah. Or Rand, right, they're nine and a half. They're ten, right? Yep. On a scale of one to ten, I give Tannehill like a six and a half, maybe a seven right now. So he could be an Fair. above average quarterback. He could be an above average quarterback, or he could just. You know, lead to a real to a great quarterback. He could do a Drew Brees, where Brees is okay his first couple of years, right. or even an Aaron Rodgers. Well, no, Rodgers actually came in and, and kicked ass right off the bat. But 
So he could get up to an eight, but he's right now he's like a six and a half. And you would put Luck exactly. ahead of him right now, but I don't know for sure if you put RG three out of him right now. You know but what I mean? Luck is definitely yeah. Luck, luck is definitely ahead of him. RG three is that's RG three is way overrated. Yeah, RG three is another Michael Vick when they the press wanted Michael. You know the, yep. the, the thing that Russ Limbaugh got in trouble for by saying that the media wants a black quarterback to be successful and be like the next Michael Jordan. Well, that's what they did with RG three. Well, listen. You had a good point with Donovan McNabb with that, you know. I got you talking football and kept you way longer than I than I originally promised, so I apologize for that. But uh, Jim no, no Ford, problem. Jim... I love talking. You know what? I got a lot of friends that are Bills fans. I I'm so glad that the Bills aren't actually giving a game to Toronto this year. That's a friggin' just a cash grab. Yeah, thank God that's over. There's no reason for that. Yeah. Playing in a dome in December. I remember when Miami played up there three years ago. I'm like, it's in the, in Toronto in a dome. Nobody you there. Yeah. Nobody, nobody there. there and, yep. and it's you got a huge uh, home field advantage when you play at Rich Stadium. Yeah, yeah. Classic you play games against home with rich, rich people in khakis. No, you want freaking blue collar Buffalo people. Yeah, classic games break. against the the Dolphins in December. That was the one that hurt the most, I think, too. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they played classic games against the like the Ricky Williams game, even where he rushed for two hundred yards in the snow in Buffalo. In December, yeah. I mean, just amazing games like that. But Jim Fornteen, I know they've had great games. Jim Fornteen's the host of that metal show. Everyone knows that, and you can watch it on Saturday nights on VH1 Classic. And he's coming to Buffalo Helium Nightclub. It's downtown, April sixteenth. Really excited uh, that comedy is and and real comedians are coming to Buffalo again. And thank you so much for doing this. Uh, and I hope you know everyone out there doesn't think I was too fanboy. I mean, I threw some real hardballs. Jim was sweating for like at least five minutes of this interview. I was. It was crazy. Yeah, so get off my back. No, we'll do know. it again. Absolutely. And ask me whatever you want, man. We'll do it again. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, come out to the show on the 16th. Yeah, we yeah we, uh, I have a partner. We definitely will. We're really, we're really excited. Comedy is uh, a thing again. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, and I'll definitely do it again. And we'll, you know, But I'll see you on the 16th. We'll hang or whatever. Have a beer afterwards. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. Thanks. All right, I want to thank Jim Florentine for making his first appearance on the podcast today. We're doing pretty good booking comedians. Two comedians ever, Jim Florentine and Artie Lang. Not too bad. Book Club, it is officially Jeff Perlman uh, Showtime Book Club Book of the Month. month. But, you know, I just feel like a guy who's been as good to us as Ed Sherman has deserves to have his book mentioned for as long as it takes for me to get him back on here to talk about the book. We've been a little crowded with bookings and certain things have come up that have had a had to kind of move up. So uh, until Ed comes on and finishes his book, Club Book of the Month stint, we're going to keep mentioning his book. And it's worth it because it's a great book. Babe Ruth's Called Shot, The Myth and Mystery of Baseball's Greatest Home Run. I read it on the way to Yale the other day and it's a nice, easy read about one of baseball's greatest stories. I can't recommend it enough. We all know the home run we're talking about. Did Babe Ruth point or did he not? And I can tell this. Uh, this is maybe a great compliment for Ed. His book did a much better job of telling the story than John Goodman's movie about Babe Ruth did. So congratulations, Ed, on that fabulous accomplishment. Also, in stores and everywhere, and like I said last week, I hope he's still interested in talking about it. It's Jeff Perlman's book, Showtime. Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s. Uh, the book is out. It's been out for over a week now. 
and Jeff is everywhere promoting it. Uh, I guess it's uh, borderline New York Times bestseller right now. That's what I had seen him tweet, uh, and hopefully it, it does end up being a New York Times bestseller. About 75 pages in, learning a lot about the Lakers. And, you know, Jeff Perlman, I, he talks about how writing books is is his passion, and we've gotten a few baseball books from him. We've gotten three baseball books so far, which makes sense because he kind of came up a baseball writer. Obviously, he was initially most famous for being the guy who wrote the crazy article about Jeff Rock or Jeff about uh, help me out here Rocker uh, and the subways and and not liking the subway John Rocker and not liking the subway in New York. That was kind of how he gained his his uh, initial fame. So he wrote about the '86 Mets. He wrote about Barry Bonds. He wrote about Roger Clemens. He also wrote the great football book Sweetness. And another football book about the Dallas Cowboys. And now now a basketball book, Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s. I'm guessing it's probably not in him, but obviously I'm hoping his next book would be a hockey book. But I'm sure that's a long shot. It's something we'll talk about, Jeff, when he eventually does come on the show to talk about Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s. And Babe Ruth's Called Shot, The Myth and Mystery of Baseball's Greatest Home Run by Ed Sherman. We're going to take a break and come right back. Our next guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and is a graduate of Syracuse University. Uh, In 2006, he was named uh, the head writer at Yahoo Sports. He writes about baseball over there. He's been recognized by the Best American Sports Writing Anthology. He is the author of one of our all-time favorite books, Death of the BCS. He was the very first guest to ever appear on the Sportscasters, and he is home safe from Sochi where he was covering the Olympics. And it should be mentioned he's making his sixth appearance on the podcast today, which I know always disappoints him that it doesn't put him a little bit higher um, on the echelon of you know people who have appeared many times but you you know you're you're passing people with each with each uh with each with each appearance what's going on jeff it uh i mean it pains me to think that that i'm not number one i know i, I know mean, but I, no one's I, gonna ever pass jenkins you know i mean I, I think he's up to like 16 and it's just it's just it, that just, show, that just shows me. That just shows me he has nothing better to do, <laughs> and that we don't know very many basketball people, which is another. Thing. <laughs> the fact the fact that you called him up sixteen times and he said yes every time gives me a significantly lower opinion of him than I had before. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, this guy's the salt of the earth. This this. Oh, oh he's he's the nice. He's he's the best. We love. He, he is the best. You he know, is the best. You know who you're going to catch is uh, real quick is um, Wertheim because now that he's you know an editor, he doesn't come on as much. We're lucky if we get him like once a year now. You know he's giving us he's giving us editor treatment. So I know he's he's, he's a, look he's big time. Now. Yeah, yep. I mean, that's how these guys get. You know they get big time and then it's like. <laughs> ah, <yeah. laughs> But uh, uh, so I got to ask you because you were there. Was mm-hmm. was that Olympics any better if you were there than it was if you were here trying to like stick with it? Because I got to tell you, like there was days that came and went, and 
I was just like, oh, the Olympics happened today? What happened? Oh, nothing? Yeah, that's what happened yesterday, too. Yeah, it, that, that's just sort of the Winter Olympics, though, on the whole, isn't it? I mean, I think that people really identify more with the Summer Olympics because, generally speaking, they're names that people recognize, whereas with the Winter Olympics, how many athletes did we really know? Like, the, the general American public, maybe half a dozen, if right. that. And those guys, I mean, didn't pro- guys or girls, it seemed like, didn't have a great Olympics either, and I don't think that helped. Yeah, I mean, Sean White stunk, Lola right. Jones was no good. Um uh, I, Miller. I, I don't I don't know any more Olympians. Who were the other ones? <laughs> uh, well, the skier Miller, right? No good. Yeah, but yeah, Buddy Miller won a medal though. I mean, he he did he did have a medal, but <laughs> you know, Lindsey Vaughn wasn't in there. Uh, I mean, there there were just not a lot of marquee athletes in the Winter Olympics, and when you don't have that, no matter how much NBC cranks up the hype machine. It's difficult to get the public not just to tune in, but to buy into it. But at the same time, there were plenty of people with whom I spoke who, just out of this weird sense of sporting nationalism, felt like they wanted to uh, at least see what it was like. And I know some of the stuff I covered were great stories, and it was a lot of fun. I think one thing that you can give us a sense of, which... I didn't really think NBC did a great job of is what was Sochi really like? Like, what was it really like to be there? Did you stay really, really close to the things you were doing and the things that were going on? Did you wander at all? I mean, what was it like to be in Russia? You know, I, I actually was up in the mountains. And so uh, it was different than actually down. And, and here's the thing. Like, Sochi was not where the Olympics were at all. Sochi was like a half hour away. Adler was the city that the Olympics were in. And so, uh, you know, Adler's sort of a, a run-down place that they just tried to spruce up with these massive buildings and this giant infrastructure that they built. But uh, up on the mountain where I was, uh, they're trying to make it into a ski resort. And so it was nice up there. You know, I, I didn't have problems with light bulbs or door handles. Uh, the, the biggest problem I had was when I tried to plug in a power strip the first second I got there and it blew a fuse and the entire floor's lights went off and I, I felt really bad about it. I didn't feel good about that one. But aside from that, uh, the, the lodging and the accommodations I was in were pretty good. You weren't attacked by any wolves? I was not attacked by wolves. Um, angry Russians, you know, a couple times. A couple times, no wolves. Yeah, no wolves. <laughs> yeah, a couple times, here and there. Is You've you've covered other Olympics, right? Or am I correct by assuming? That? I, yeah, I was I was I was in Vancouver. You're in Vancouver. Uh, That's what I thought. Okay, so let's do a little comparison. Oh, there is no comparison. None. I okay. mean, right. you know, I yeah. mean, Ru- Russia is a second world country, uh-huh. and Vancouver's freaking awesome. Right. Uh, so, in uh, in Vancouver, we were uh, you know we were completely spoiled too. Dan Wetzel and I stayed in just the most glorious apartment on like the 36th floor of the building that overlooked the hockey arena, you know, in a great district, uh, a great area of Vancouver, walking distance to everything, great restaurants. I mean, Vancouver was superb. I, I, if they held every Olympics in Vancouver, I would love it. But, uh, yeah, so, Sochi, I, I think this is going to be looked upon uh, historically as an Olympics, Known for the the 
screw-ups at the beginning and why the, you know, why the hell are we here at the end? And that a lot of people said, uh, it turned out fine, it was safe, which is good, but I'm never coming back to this place. And I think that was the sentiment from a lot of people. So you haven't booked a return to the ski resort? You're not taking the fan, fan back for a ski trip? Next no, I'm, no, I'm probably not going to be going anywhere near Sochi again. Yeah. Nothing, nothing against Sochi. It was acceptable. It was tolerable. But if I got a week off, there are about a million other places in the world I think I would like to see before Sochi again. So you get back from Sochi, and it's March, and that means pitchers and catchers, and I imagine things are going a million miles an hour already for you on that front, right? Yeah, I got a little bit of time off, but I'm here in Arizona right now and have uh, gotten back in the swing of things. And it's good to be around baseball again, you know, because I think it's such a such a fun game and such an interesting game and such a great game. And uh, getting to come out here and just reacquaint yourself with it and with the people around it, uh, I'm I'm a very lucky guy. I have I have a uh, great gig. There's no question about that. We talked a little bit last year about how Hudson's injury kind of pushed your book back a year. Well, so now going into this year, what is your job going to be like in terms of dealing with the book and dealing with your day-to-day stuff at Yahoo? Is it going to be a complicated year in that sense now? Yeah, I, I hope my wife and kids uh, still know me by the end of this. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to balance all of those things. Uh, it's it's going to be a it's going to be a heavy year, but. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. And the book just keeps getting better and better and more interesting and more interesting. I mean, just yesterday I had a great conversation with Trevor Bauer, uh, who I think is a fascinating character, a pitcher for the Cleveland Indians, who's probably as educated, if not more educated, than just about anybody, not just players, but anybody in the game, on what throwing a pitch entails and learning about the biomechanics of it and essentially making himself into a guinea pig of how to throw a baseball uh, with maximum efficiency. And, uh, you know, I saw him pitch today, and he was at 96 to 97 the whole time. This is a kid who's six foot one and, you know, weighs 175 pounds. It's not like he's a big guy. It's not like he's got a ton of force going behind it. But, you know, for, for the 96 to 97 that he had, he also gave up something like six or seven runs and got knocked around. And so that's the, you know, that's the, the beauty of this game, I think, that uh, just when you think you've got something figured out, it will humble you immediately, instantaneously, and in the most horrifying ways possible. As people go bracket crazy here in the next couple of weeks and pretend like they're the biggest college basketball fans... Uh, as as everyone does now, is because it's about that time of the year. Uh, the nice, the, the, one of my favorite things about the, the NCAA basketball tournament has always been that it ends on opening day, usually or right around opening day. Uh, as we're pretending to be bracket experts, what are the two or three things, baseball wise, we should be paying real close attention to? What are the things that are going to be most important at the beginning of the baseball season? Oh boy. Um... Uh, to me, the American League East is just always so intriguing. And if the Blue Jays do sign Irvin Santana, I don't know if that's going to happen at this point. You know, it's it's tough to say who the favorite is. I think they've got the best offer on the table right now for him, but you don't know who's going to come in with a Trump at the end or where it's going to go. I think if Irvin Santana goes to Toronto, you've really got five 
good teams that could conceivably make the playoffs in the American League East. And uh, that does not bode well for uh, the rest of the league. Uh, at the same time, though, you wonder if they're just going to beat the crap out of each other and uh, all of them are going to be in that you know 80-plus win territory where maybe they get only one team in the playoffs because the dominant teams in the other divisions are going to win more games. And so I think the the hierarchy in the American League is pretty fascinating. I think the Atlanta Braves right now, uh, with the arm injuries they are uh, they have undergone just over the past you know couple of days with Chris Medlin hobbling yeah. off the Jeez. mound and with Brand- with Brandon Beachy's arm tightening up. You know, two guys who have had Tommy John surgeries in the past. Right, and, and I don't know if Beachy's ever going to heal at this point. Like I'm almost giving up on on that thought. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, it's look, it's it's sad, and that's one of the things I've learned doing this book on the pitching arm. It's that once you get hurt, chances of you staying healthy again drop significantly. It's just you know, it's one of those things where I, I think that we spend so much time looking for the perfect delivery when in reality. It comes down to whether you have the genetics in place or not to stay healthy. Some guys have it, and some guys don't. And I don't think the most biomechanically perfect motion could keep somebody who doesn't have... Uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's uh, it's like a key that you turn and all of a sudden you're injury-free, but I think there's something just within certain people that they're born... Uh, to stay healthy doing athletics, and that some people are not, especially throwing the baseball. And uh, that's the unfortunate part of this whole story, that, uh, it, you know, once you blow out the first time, you wonder if you're doomed again. Yeah. Yeah, geez, I don't know. And he's it, and it just seems like he, he uh, Beachy especially, it seems like he, he comes back, and then it's like at first... And then it's like he gives you that game, and it's like, all right, he's got, he's got it, he's over that hump, and then, and then he, he falls back down again. It seems like I couldn't imagine, you know, what he's been going through. I, I just, I, I couldn't imagine. He's got it. Frustration level for him's got to be just crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, for anyone who's injured, mm-hmm. but especially somebody who, I, I mean, you know, one of the things the book is going to attempt to show is what it's like coming back from an injury, and the physical toil and the mental labor and uh, the, the altogether difficulty uh, that an athlete who's used to going out there either every fifth day or in some cases with relief pitchers every day or two competing, uh, having to learn not to compete because you can't have that mentality in rehab. It's not a competition. It's, it's a time trial and, you have to have patience above all else. And these are people who are bred to be impatient. You're not supposed to sit around in sports. You're supposed to be active, and you're supposed to go out there, and you're supposed to win. And not having that outlet to go and win is an eminently frustrating thing for some of these guys. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, I, I think you know, if the book is going to be about, you know, watching – Recovery. I mean, the HUD, your angle with Hudson. I mean, I, I can't wait to read it. Like, I can't wait to get my hands on on what 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 he must have been thinking the last you know eighteen months or whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's been inspiring and sometimes it's been horrifying. And just, you know, I'll never, I will never forget being there with him the night that he blew out his arm for the second time. Yeah, I'll and, never forget talking to you literally the day before that and you telling me that you were going to that game. You were on the show, yeah. you were on the show the day before that. You know, and, and yeah. when we finished, we talked for like 30 seconds. You're like, yeah, I'm actually going to watch him bitch tomorrow. And it's like, oh, yeah, have a great trip. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, I mean, for for the sake of being able to tell this story, I'm glad I was there. But uh, just as, you know, as another person seeing something like this up close, seeing, you know, the a year of work literally flushed down the toilet and within five minutes. So that's what it was. I mean, he had to start from scratch and start from scratch with the idea that, uh, it may not, it may never happen again. I mean, he, he still doesn't know, you know, he's still at the point in his rehab now where, uh, he doesn't know if the velocity is going to be there. He doesn't know if the breaking balls are going to be there. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't know anything right now other than that. He had to change what he was doing. And so, He's got a revamped delivery, and all he can do is hope it works. Arbitration is always really strange, Straight, and that was a strange segue. But uh, it couldn't have been any weirder than the Braves actually having to go to Dodger Stadium to uh, to get um, to get uh, Kimbrel to sign his contract because he was still standing there waiting to come in, right? You've been saving that one up for a while, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, I've been. I was thinking about that one pretty much, you know, for a while. I couldn't wait to use that one on you. No, but it, yeah. It, yeah, it's just so ridiculous because you know they didn't they didn't bring him in, and that's just still the most absurd thing of all time to me. But uh, talking with Jeff, I Pat, think there have probably been. I think there have probably been more absurd things. Probably maybe not of all time. Right. Maybe maybe of the last maybe of the last century. Certainly the most absurd thing in last year's baseball playoffs. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And and I'll be curious to see how Freddie Gonzalez uses him this year. Because, I mean, if you look at just the Atlanta Braves' recent history, the number of Tommy Johns there is frightening. You know, Medlin, Beachy, uh, O'Flaherty, Venters. I mean, that's four very important guys right there. And, I, you know, I just hope for Chris Medlin's sake that it's, you know, it's not happening again. Yeah, and what the latest is they're going to reevaluate his MRI, I think is what I read today. So they're being very vague about it, which can't, can't be good. Well, you know, you, you, you'd think if it were good news, they would tell you. Right, but, yeah, uh, the more if you vague remember, usually. If, if, you remember, if you remember last year with Beachy, they, they were vague on that, and it turned out to be okay for the time being. All right, so we're going to watch the AL East. We're going to see what's up with the Braves pitching. And do you think that baseball as a whole has another farewell tour for a Yankee in them? Is this? I feel bad for Derek Jeter, sort of, because I'm I'm a Jeter guy. I like Jeter a lot, and uh, I think he deserves a proper send off. But I'm a little worried that like all these people and cities that can't stomach the Yankees as it is, like, aren't going to want to do this again. Yeah, like I wonder if somebody from a different. Uh, team tried to do a farewell tour. How that would go over? Yeah, I I'm trying to think of somebody who's been around him forever. Like Chipper Jones didn't really do a farewell tour, did he? Not really. I mean, his last game was that, that stupid no, yeah. that stupid uh, infield fly call. That was his his last game. No, the 
You know, you know, Bobby Bobby Cox had a farewell tour in sorts, I think. Yeah, well, I vaguely I vaguely recall that because wasn't there that cake that was spelled Bobby C O C K S? <laughs> I was gonna say Ripken. I was gonna say that Ripken had a farewell tour. I'm pretty sure that there's a cake <laughs> that was made for Bobby Cox in Philadelphia that was Bobby C-O-C-K-S. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I'm dreaming it. Yeah, it definitely happened in 2010. Well, hopefully it was baked to the highest of standards and tasted delicious. Yeah, here's what it says. I'm looking at Deadspin right now. The Senate invited Braves manager, the Braves manager to Capitol Hill to celebrate his upcoming retirement, complete with a misspelled cake that read, Thanks for 50 great years, Bobby Cox, with <laughs> Cox spelled C O C K S. Josh, the places we go in these interviews, you know? That's oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can always find Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Passon, and he's writing about baseball again, the thing we love to read him write about on Yahoo.com. Anything else people need to know about? Um, no, probably not. I, I mean, I just, I just want to end it with the Bobby Cox cake. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect place to end it. Thanks, buddy. All right, good talking with you, man. All right, I want to thank Jeff Passon for being on the show. I always love having Jeff on. I was telling Don earlier that uh, last night I was reading the new Rolling Stone, and they had an article in there about uh, Dookie, the album from Green Day, turning 20 this year. Is that their first album or just their first big first, album? First uh, like hit? major uh, record, major uh, label okay. release. They had already released Kerplunk and uh, oh, that's right, ten thousand thirty-nine. So, uh, that also coincided with the news that Soundgarden is playing the South by Southwest festival this week and playing Super Unknown in its entirety in honor of its twentieth anniversary. And it got me thinking, like, wow, a lot of really cool music came out in nineteen ninety-four, and for the greatest of all time tomorrow, I should do. A greatest album of 1994. Look at them all and see which one I, I would think. And then uh, I was like, I wonder what the, the best movie was. And it turned into to this idea of doing a themed greatest of all time. So the themed greatest of all time uh, this week is going to be centered around 1994. We have three categories and we're going to each declare uh, three things the greatest of all time in that category for the year 1994. All right, the first thing that is going to be the most boring one because it's going to be the same for us, I would imagine, is the best album of 1994. Whoa, 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 back up. Greatest. Greatest. Sorry, yeah, I screwed up the title there. The greatest album of all time for 1994 was Pearl Jam's Vitology. Uh, Like I said, it's probably one that could garner a lot of 
I don't know if you already mentioned it, but this is going to be one, as far as our greatest of all times go, there's so much talent to choose from here that we're going to get a lot about every category, I think. Listen, I pick Vitalogy as well because I'm a huge, huge Pearl Jam guy and everyone knows that. And Vitalogy is usually my second or third favorite Pearl Jam album. But there is a lot of albums in here that if I were to take Pearl Jam out of the equation would rank very highly for me. I'm a huge fan of Super Unknown. Yeah, mine probably would have been Downward Spiral. Super Unknown might be my favorite non-Pearl Jam album, period. That was okay. released in 1994. Uh, you mentioned the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I'm a big Dookie guy. Uh, I actually got to see Green Day in Buffalo like right before Dookie kind of broke. There was like 500 people there. Oh, that's cool. It wasn't... I wasn't cool. Like they had a video out, and like that's why we knew <laughs> okay. about it. It just like hadn't totally broke to the level that right. they needed to. Where they're doing Broadway shows now, right? right. Yeah, it wasn't quite uh, there yet. Nirvana released their Unplugged CD, right? Uh, Oasis. Uh, if you're into rap, uh, Ready to Die by the Notorious B.I.G., which I know is one of the biggest rap albums of all time. Huh. Uh, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant put out an album together. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy year for music, but. I guess just being this show and being the people that we are, it would be pretty hard for, for either of us to not say Vitology, I think. All right, the greatest movie of all time, and this is a category that might be more competitive than even the music. Uh, Shawshank Redemption came out that year. People always talk about how it got snubbed for the Oscar. Yeah, great year. For, for Forrest Gump, uh, Dumb and Dumber, The Lion King, even uh, tons of movies. For me, the greatest movie of all time, and this is very personal. I just went with the one I've seen the most. I went with the one I could make the – I like to do this with Bills players and Sabres players. If I want to say who's the best Sabres player of all time, for me it's always Dominic Hasek with the reason being he's the only guy they've ever had that you can argue was the best ever at his position. And with the Bills, I would probably say the was Bruce Smith because the same argument. You could argue Bruce was the best defensive end of all time. Uh, so for me – my favorite comedy of all time may have been Dumb and Dumber, so I, I'm going to say the greatest movie of 1994 was Dumb and Dumber. Uh, you know, and uh, maybe this is why this show works sometimes. Is I went with Dumb and Dumber as well, and I kind of looked at it the same way. I kind of looked at it like I'm not a real f- like film guy. Like I don't usually call them films. Like you know, I, right. Like I call them movies. You know, and to me, it's about just having a good time. I don't have to like find the newest art film or whatever. But I know since 1994, I've had the most fun on the most different occasion watching Dumb and Dumber. I remember the going to the theater and seeing it and not being able to stop laughing when he threw the snowball and hit her directly in the face. <laughs> yeah. Like just I remember being 14 and like seeing that part in in the movie theater like I just could not stop laughing. It took me like 20 minutes. People still quote the hell out of that movie all the time. Like the uh Big golf what was all that one in a million soccer? Yeah, so you're saying there's big a golfs. chance. Yeah. I mean, just, this movie has just been a part, I think, anyone around our age. I mean, this is just the quotable movie. I think Anchorman's gotten got close, uh, but still, it's Dumb and Dumber is the movie. And, and there's a lot of great ones. I, I love Pulp Fiction. I do love Forrest Gump. A lot of people shit on it, but I loved uh, Forrest Gump. I love Shawshank. I mean, I've watched Shawshank gazillion times. Yeah, for me, it came down. Uh, I like Clerks. Um, oh, I mean, right, so yeah. there's a bunch of movies in there I, I could have thought of, but I just Dumb and Dumber personally, just too many great nights. And for me, it came movie. down to I, I like all those movies too. Uh, 
but I don't own Shawshank or Forest. I don't, at least I don't think I do. Uh, so to me, it means I must not love it enough to go beyond watching it on TBS every time it comes on. But uh, I own, so I narrowed it down that way. I own Dumb and Dumber, The Lion King, and Pulp Fiction. And same thing, just personally, and I still quote it, uh, Dumb and Dumber for me, probably not the best, like you said, piece of film or whatever, but for me, it's the greatest movie of all time. One subcategory, if I would have had to pick the greatest movie soundtrack from 1994, clearly I'd go with The Crow there. Oh, that was 94 also? Yeah, Yeah, I do have that soundtrack. And that was the legendary soundtrack. It's got an awesome uh, Stone Temple Pilots song. A Nine Inch Nails song. Yeah, that's a good soundtrack. Yeah, really good. The Stone Temple Pilots song is is just uh, Big Empty, right? I don't... But but that that was pre-Purple. Right. Which was what made it great. You know what I mean? That it was Big Empty, which doesn't seem like a big deal once Purple came out. But before you knew that that was going to be on purple, and you no, first... it's not big empty. Is it dead soul? See, I don't remember. Dead they... souls is the nine inch nail song. Okay, that's cool. Oh, it is big empty. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a sweet soundtrack. Uh, movie nuts. I didn't love the movie. Yeah, no, me neither. Uh, Lost highways like that with me a little bit too. That's got an awesome soundtrack. Didn't the movie's just bizarre? Uh, we're getting way off topic now. Yeah. Um. And to bring it back to sports, the greatest sports moment of 1994. This is going to be regional. I mean, if you're a New Yorker, New York city uh this is going to be the Rangers win for you. But for me, I think the one moment transcended sports was the OJ murder. Uh, there's a great 30 for 30 documentary called June something 1994 that kind of centered around what was going on in New York City with the Rangers. And we've talked about what a great documentary that is on this show before. Yeah. and it's 15th, maybe. Yeah. It's, I'll look it up. But for me, it was the OJ murder. It's a one moment. I mean, you don't want to call a moment like that great, but as far as uh, magnitude. 17th. Yeah, I remember exactly. I was at a friend's house. I mean, I was young then. I was 16 or whatever. Or I had just turned. Yeah, just turned. No, just turned 13. Uh but we were in the backyard of a friend's house having a, a fire with like some family, and we happened to go upstairs for some reason, and we flipped the TV on, and there's there's the chase scene. So I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly where I was when the verdict came down. I was in a – I can't remember exactly what the class was. I remember the room I was in. It was either a yeah, tech or photography class, and someone came running down the hallway yelling, he's not guilty, like almost with disbelief. But uh, to me, that moment transcended sports – uh, negatively, obviously, but that was the greatest sports moment of all time for 1994. Well, I don't even know how to put it, but it's definitely that Stanley Cup, which to me is the greatest Stanley Cup of all time, at least in my lifetime. So I don't know if I want to say it's the Rangers winning the Stanley Cup. I don't know if I want to say it's Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, that 3-2 to two great game that they played. I don't know if I want to say it's the Bray versus Richter penalty shot moment from the series. Who was your team in that? I rooted for the Rangers. Yeah, even though you were a Bray guy? Yeah, I was a Bray guy, but I was a big Rangers guy at the time, too. And uh, I got into that team. Like That was one of those years where you just kind of got on that ride and I already had hated the Devils a lot and got really into their epic seven-gamer against the Devils in the Eastern Conference Finals. And uh, so, yeah, I was pulling for the Rangers. But, I mean, that whole spring, the 
that was maybe one of the best NHL playoffs of all time. Just a great spring, and I guess I'll just specifically say Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, 1994, is the greatest sports moment of 1994. All right, so there you have it. We agree that the greatest album of 1994 was Vitology, the greatest movie was Dumb and Dumber, and we had different sports moments. I said the OJ murder and everything that came with it. And And I said Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. There it is. All right, we're going to be right back to close this bitch out. All right, I want to thank Jim Florentine from That Metal Show and Jeff Passan from Yahoo Sports for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. Don't forget, you can find our work on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. Tell us all about your favorite things from 1994. You can also tweet us at sports underscore casters. Uh, and you can find... Uh, you can find our work on Facebook. We haven't done much with that, but Facebook.com slash the sportscasters, we're there. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all over this internet thing. <laughs> we sure are. So, find us. And uh, ne- ne- next week, big week for uh, the sportscasters, is, uh, will be our uh, 150th show, uh, one way or another. Uh, whether we decide to make a big deal about it or not, I don't know if we've entirely decided. But uh, this is show number 149. So. so it'll be the, be a big 150th, or it'll be a big show because of the, uh, the tournament. tournament. Yeah. Or both. Or both. We'll see. All right, one last thing for me today. Uh, hockey is the coolest, and for so many reasons, hockey is the coolest. And I think Don's even going to share uh, another reason why hockey is the coolest uh, with his one last thing. But uh, Ohio, the Ohio State Hockey Championship game went to seven overtimes. Uh, over the weekend, and it didn't end. Uh, it, instead, they just they said it, it wasn't safe anymore after that that many periods and that many minutes for the athletes over three full games. So they split the championship. Yeah, they called. They declared themselves co-champions, shook hands, and skated off. Never buckled under the pressure of the uh, shootout, which I guess there is a national rule that says the state championship can't. And in a oh, skills competition. Good. So I guess that wasn't even an option, which is an awesome rule to have in place because I didn't know it was because that was the first question a lot of people asked is, why, well, why don't they just right. have a shootout? Well, it's because there's a rule that you're not going to end a game as epic. Well, after the six overtimes, you're right. going to say, all right, well, let's do the shootout now and end it that way. You would have really cheated a team. So hats off to both of these teams full of gutty kids uh, from the state of Ohio. Uh, who who played seven overtimes and uh, decided to split it. Yeah, very cool. Um, another thing hockey does right is deal with tragedy. Um, Rich Peverly, we played off the, the opening highlight there, was his goal to, to start game one against the uh, Canucks when he was still a bu- member of the Boston Bruins. He had what they are calling, quote, a cardiac event on the Stars-Columbus Blue Jackets game. I believe the game was played in Columbus, and he – basically passed out on the bench. Uh, he had heart problems in the past. He had an, some sort of procedure in the off season to try to, to try to write it. He was on different medication that's caused him to miss a game or two here while he kind of readjusted to it and kind of out of nowhere, just collapsed on the bench. 
the players, the officials, the medical staff in the building, just everyone did absolutely everything right. Upon seeing him collapse, players started banging their sticks on the boards, uh, and then to get the added attention of whoever needed attention, they just started jumping out onto the ice. So all the Dallas Stars players were on the ice. Uh, The trainers took him back to the locker room where both team doctors looked at him and made him treated him however they had to so that he was conscious when he went on his way to the hospital. I guess his first question upon regaining consciousness to Lindy Ruff was how much time is left in the period coach. Yeah, He wanted to go back so out. He wanted to get back out there. Uh, tough guy, scary injury, but again, everyone sounds like they did everything right. So kudos to the NHL for that. Um, I know when I mentioned this was going to be the gist of my one last thing, Steve mentioned that uh, the guy's name was Cheripanov, I believe. Uh, the Rangers prospect that tragically died in an event in the KHL. No, not Almost in the KHL. identical. And it was KHL. Oh, it was yeah. KHL. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know the prospects played in the KHL. But, yeah, he played in a KHL game, collapsed on the bench, and didn't get the support he needed and, and passed away. Uh, Yuri Hoodler had a similar incident where – on the Detroit Red Wings bench where he passed out again, got the proper treatment and was fine as fine as he could be. Anyway, he ended up retiring. So, um, hopefully that rich Peverly doesn't have to retire, but his health is more important than anything And the NHL did everything they could to make sure that, uh, he would be around to make that tough decision. Vacate is the word Vengeance has no